Welcome to Fair Podcasts. Join your hosts as they dismantle current news articles and help separate fact from fiction. On today's Fair Podcast, Fact Check. Let's start the show. Will immigration cuts hurt the U.S. economy? Hi, I'm Dan Stein, president of FAIR. And as sure as the sun is rising, the mainstream press, the financial press, are warning of dire consequences to the economy if immigration is reduced. And the Associated Press put out an article recently. It says efforts to curb, econ- curb immigration could hurt the U.S. economy. Associated Press moved this story on February 26th. This story represents a classic example of how the financial press and others continually spin the immigration issue in a way that ignores the true interests of the American people, the American taxpayer, and the American worker. And joining me to drill down on this article is Mark Venenzia. He's a chartered financial analyst and has an economics degree from Stanford and an MBA from the University of Chicago and nearly 30 years of experience as a mutual fund manager managing complex derivatives, products, trading foreign exchange, and international bonds. Some of the most complex financial transactions in the world. And Mark is quite a thinker. He's also an attorney with the Immigration Reform Law Institute. And he's written a dandy blog you can find on immigrationreform.com that says AP Flunks Economics 101. So, Mark, what's your overall impression here of this kind of reporting? Well, my overall impression uh, is it's, it's rather typical uh, when you see uh, mainstream media uh, deal with um, immigration and restrictions and enforcement of immigration law in that if you take each individual thing that is said— It's often true, but it's the focus, the redirection of focus from what is important to what is unimportant. Because, you know, if you focus on certain facts, you can give the impression that there's this disastrous effect on the economy. If you focus on other facts, which the media doesn't, uh, wages of low-skilled workers, the per capita GDP in the country, the environment, then you'll get a very different answer. And I would maintain that this article, as is typical, is focusing on uh, gross macroeconomic effects where you look at, well, sure enough, if you have a lot less people, then you're going to have a lower GDP and lower total employment and a smaller, a slightly smaller economy. But what's important to Americans is the quality of life in the country, the GDP per capita, the unemployment rate among Americans, a very different focus uh, from this article. But that's, that's pretty typical. And um, I think the focus in the article uh, appeases both big business, which takes advantage of low wages, and um, it appeases, of course, the uh, more identitarian politics of the uh, open borders crowd. Paul Weissman wrote the article, and you can look it up online. It's appeared now in about five or six different publications. Uh, ABC News ran it most recently. Let's go through these different assumptions. Weissman says that America's 21st century job market increasingly demands high-tech skills and knowledge. He says, but consider this. Nearly half the new jobs the government foresees emerging by 2026 will require only a high school diploma or none at all. Of course, my first observation is, based on the wages he's talking about paying 
why on earth would we want to import people to do these jobs because it's a massive labor subsidy? They'd immediately be dependent on public assistance, uh, even at those salary levels. But anyway, what's your take on that assertion? This is a, quite a long-term projection, and it assumes that the economy is uh, geared toward c- continual flows of immigrants. By the way, when you compare the wages that immigrants are, are willing to work for, Basically, for, for an immigrant, the, it's the, uh, what is the opportunity cost? What is he giving up by working in the U.S.? He's giving up living in his home country. And so the benefit to him is the wage plus living in, in the U.S., which includes education for his children, many other amenities relative to the home country. So the, the, the relative wage that we're talking about is miscalculated. But the... Um, The big problem here is his statement that Americans are unwilling to take these low-skilled jobs. And there's always, you know, there's supply, demand, and price. And so the question is always, at what wage are you willing to take a job? Are you willing to work below the minimum wage? If you're already illegally in the country, certainly you're willing to work below the minimum wage. Um, Do you get certain benefits if you're on unemployment? Clearly, Americans get those benefits, and we have good reasons for providing those benefits. So the big question there is, at what wage? Well, isn't it also true that some of the jobs will not exist but for the presence of low-skill immigrants willing to accept these arbitrarily low wages? I mean, the second point here is it says... Those jobs share something else in common, too. Hundreds of thousands of them will likely be taken by low-skill immigrants who are willing to do work that Americans won't. Americans won't at the particular wage. Look, some of those jobs will not exist if there are not people willing to do them at that wage, right? I mean, they're just some some, economic trade of home health care, for example. You know, you have to distinguish between the immediate impact of uh, dramatically uh, reducing the flow of low-skilled immigrants, uh, the intermediate impact, and the long-term impact. The immediate impact, people don't want their their, uh, crops to uh, rot on the ground. The immediate impact is a rise in the, uh, the price of labor. The intermediate impact might be lowering production, a lower level of aggregate employment. The long-term impact is an average, on average, a slightly higher level of skill uh, in our workforce because if you mechanize to some extent, you'll need more skilled workers. You will also have some level of mechanization. You will have also some lower level of production than originally. But, you know, we're also we're well, talking also, here about spur the drive to robotics and A.I., won't it? Wouldn't that it be will. Good? There'd be a mixture. There's always a mixture when you when you lower the supply of labor and you raise the price, um, you're going to have a mixture of less production, more, more robotics, um, higher, higher wages, higher wages. But what we're concerned about here is the GDP per capita in the United States the level of employment of Americans, and the fact that your, your grand total GDP is going to go down uh, relative to where, where it would have been is really not terribly important unless you're dependent on that aggregate GDP. So I understand the concerns of big business, 
But the main concern for the electorate of the United States is the stagnation in the um, wages of low-skilled labor. And it becomes a big campaign issue every four years, big time. Have a national minimum wage, $15 uh, national minimum wage, and follow the lead of some cities. Well, why do we need that? Well, because we want to protect the low-skilled American workers. So why, on the one hand, and it's usually the same people, by the way, on the one hand, we want to dramatically raise the price of labor, but on the other hand, we want to encourage all the market forces that keep it down. It's the most notorious fact in looking at the, the distribution of income in the United States, how that distribution has uh, skewed toward uh, much higher incomes at the very top, the upper 1%, and absolute flat stagnation, um, tiny gains in median incomes in the United States, and uh, severe stagnation in your lower quartile. It's, it's talked about all the time, and it's just forgotten when we go into the topic of the level of immigration and the skill levels of immigrants. So then he says, lost in the immigration debate raging in Washington is the vital role, economic role played by immigrants who don't have the education, training, or skills that the Trump administration and many Republicans in Congress say should be a prerequisite. Economists say that especially with unemployment at a 17-year low, and the growth of the workforce slowing, immigrants skilled as well as unskilled are vital to the economy. Completely unproven statement, but anyway, what's your take on that? You say it fails to distinguish between aggregate GDP and per capita, which you've mentioned. Well, of course. You, you also draw an analogy, for, you know, Switzerland versus India. When, when we're concerned about um, the quality of life, we're concerned about average income per capita, average GDP per capita, we're not concerned about gross GDP. Gross GDP is more of uh, something of concern when you're looking at numbers that come out, you know, what's the change in GDP? But keep in mind, well, the more important thing for Americans is GDP per capita. You would rather live in Switzerland, I think, than in India. India's GDP per capita is multiples of Switzerland's. But what does it matter? Why are we aiming at that? It, it, it makes absolutely no sense. Then he says, the idea <clears throat> we only need people with certain degrees has never been true. This is a quote to, to Michael Clemens. And he says, and it's less true now than it's in the past. I thought in the 1980s we were moving toward a high-value-added information society, computer-aided design and flexible system manufacturings, we are trying to eliminate uh, non-export competing low-wage uh, work in this country. And to the extent we had domestic service work, it would be against the backdrop of a tighter labor market where, once again, we would see dignity and a decent wage for those kinds of jobs, preferably unionized. But that's a common elitist misconception, I would say. He says 63% of current American jobs and 46% of jobs expected to be created, as we've discussed, between now and 2026, require no more than a high school degree, 46%. How can we as an economy, um, this is me talking, be actually creating 50% low-wage jobs that don't require any kind of education? 
He says the new positions include low-paying jobs that most Native Americans are loath to pursue, an estimated 77, 778,000 personal care aides with median pay of $21,920. Food service workers, 580,000 with a median pay of 19,400 and 431 home health care aides at $22,600. I mean, these are jobs that are at the poverty level and people who are working on the salaries are going to require a tremendous amount of have transfer payments, social welfare, and especially if they have kids in school or elderly parents who come with them. In the end, this is a, a massive labor subsidy we're talking about for people being brought into the country to do these jobs that don't pay enough to provide the value added to bring them above the cost of the social safety net. Any comment there? Well, yes. So you have the combination very low wage, unskilled labor, and then the, um, the subsidies, as you say. So what's happening here, uh, and you can see this in how the political forces line up, and, and he gives this example, that uh, American women are more likely to have a domestic servant. It reminds me of, uh, of uh, South Africa and, and Brazil. If you have a domestic servant, then you can work longer hours. And uh, it's an interesting ar uh, argument, which makes pretty stark the uh, redistributional effects of a very high level of low-skill immigration. So what that individual is doing, whether they're hiring uh, a legal uh, immigrant or an illegal alien, is they are getting the benefits and consuming that benefit all to themselves. These are upper-class Americans and owners of capital. And they are pushing out the costs of uh, that immigrant in terms of social uh, services and driving down the wages of low-skilled Americans. They are pushing that out, a personal benefit against a general social cost. This is, you know, what we call externalities. And the fact that people are ignoring in this sort of economics news article, the, those externalities, those social costs, consistent, we see it all the time. So but in every other context, we're always worried about the income distribution of Americans and how it's getting more and more skewed toward the people at the top. So Dan Stein here, President of FAIR. I'm here with Mark Venenzia, who is with the Immigration Reform Law Institute. We're talking about an article Paul Weissman wrote for the Associated Press a couple of days ago, and Mark has a great blog you might want to look at on immigrationreform.com responding to it, and we're talking about that article. So we're a guy like Weissman, who seems from the way the article's written to be somebody who considers himself probably more moderate to left of center politically. Why do the elites in this country of all political stripes seem to ignore the predation, the exploitation factors associated with recruiting this kind of low-skill foreign workers, how do, they, how do they rationalize the economic exploitation and the cost to taxpayers for their own personal benefit? Well, it's, it's, um, it's a peculiar coalition because on the one hand, you have just sympathy because you see the, the immigrants um, working for very low wages, long hours, not complaining. Um, so you've got 
a sympathetic liberal point of view. You also have the employers who just love that. Um, and, you know, as an employer, you want uh, the most dedicated, low-wage employee you can get. Um, and the, the aggregate, the costs are spread out so thinly among such a large group of uh, lower-skilled Americans that it's hard for them to see, those individuals, to see the individual cost to themselves. And it's hard to tease out, unless you're, you're suffering from overcrowded public schools and um, uh, harmful effects on the environment, it's hard to tease out these aggregate effects. So that coalition of, um, ironically, uh, empathy and greed and convenience uh, makes for a very powerful coalition. So how do you respond to the proposition that Mer Americans really shun low-wage jobs? Do they really shun them? Well, they shun them relative to the price. It's always the price. What is the cost of labor? How are you compensated? And what are your alternative opportunities? It's not a matter of shunning. It's a matter of what you are willing to do at what wage. Well, I think that really kind of covers pretty much the waterfront. There are some specific assumptions in the article, which Mark responds to in our article on immigrationreform.com. Uh, but I suggest you take a look at it and read it. It's worthwhile. It gives you some, some insight into uh, how the economic forces manipulate, uh, particularly these writers manipulate the information in ways that make it sound like we have to just continue to accept low-skill immigrants ad infinitum in larger and larger numbers. So what's your final thought, Mark? Uh, I think it should be pointed out that uh, Mr. Wiseman's task is a very daunting one here. He's not just arguing for the benefits of low-skilled immigration. He's actually arguing that um, we need low-skilled immigration just as much as we need high-skilled immigration. And this is important because... Um, much of the debate today is on whether the primary criteria for um, admission should be family ties and connections, a kind of uh, nepotism, or whether it should be skill level, uh, contribution. And the fortunate thing is we can actually measure a contribution uh, the contribution to the economy is uh, roughly proportionate to the price of the labor. We actually have the price. So if you import labor and it has a price of $100,000 per year and you compare this to importing labor with a price of $30,000 per year, you know the relative contributions of these two individuals to the general economy, the GDP. So here, the answer for GDP per capita versus the answer for gross GDP is the same. You want to import the more highly priced labor. Highly priced in the sense that there is an employer willing to pay that higher price because the value add 
of that employee is worth that higher price. Now, in addition to that, of course, the individual with the higher price is going to contribute far more in taxes than the individual with a lower wage. Uh, especially now we have a tax law that largely exempts uh, income uh, below 24000 So uh, in terms and, – and then there's the redistribution to Americans from those taxes. So the, um, the argument for highly skilled labor relative to the uh, value of low-skilled labor is really cut and dry – there can be no really good argument in economics for a preference for low-skilled labor. So there's a lot to discuss here, but for more information on this, go to Mark's article, and this is an ongoing conversation. And I just want to thank you for joining us and spending some time with us. So, Mark, thank you very much. This is Dan Stein, and we'll talk to you soon. That's all for this episode of FAIR Podcasts. Be sure to click the subscribe button and head over to fairus.org to contact us through email or Twitter at FAIR Immigration to keep you up to date on the latest immigration update and reports. That's fairus.org.